Greetings, everyone. I'm Vicki Basilica, Director of the Clinical Specialist and Scientist section here at ASHP, and thank you for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature from the exceptional program from the 2022 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice with the world's largest gathering of pharmacists. So in looking at the 340B program, specifically related to Medicaid, there's three government entities that have influence over how the program runs. First off, you have HRSA, and in the statute for the 340B program, there's a requirement to prevent duplicate discounts with Medicaid fee-for-service. Since the 340B program was generated as a result of the Medicaid drug rebate program, we didn't want to have a duplicate of a rebate plus the 340B price. And so as a covered entity, you have to ensure that you aren't having those occur. HRSA also says to follow the state policy, and then you need to make sure that you're up to date for your Medicaid exclusion files posted on the websites. CMS responsibility is to collect rebates, and they set some general guidance for the states to follow when it comes to the 340B program. Then for the states, they each individually establish processes for entities to bill Medicaid to prevent duplicate discounts, and they determine how reimbursement occurs. So each of you for your state needs to be aware of what those policies are, and those that are servicing multiple states, you need to know all of those policies for the prescriptions that you fill. So when it comes to the Medicaid state trends, we've seen lots of different changes over the years. So when the managed care plans came into place, a lot of the states were moving towards managed care. Some of them have mandatory requirements for people to get into the managed programs. However, recently we've been seeing some of the shift where states are looking towards moving them to an all fee-for-service model, specifically when it comes to the drug benefit. And so Jared will be talking more specifically about his experience in California. And then we also know that New York has some policies that we'll be implementing. We also know that there are some states that are selected selectively appointing their own PBMs in order to manage their Medicaid plans versus having multiple PBMs. And then some states have requirements for mandatory carve out or carve in depending on specific situations. So it's really important that you know what the requirements are for your state as you're implementing and using the program. So we do some monitoring of the activities related to policies in place for reimbursement across the landscape, so commercial claims as well as the federal claims. And what many had noticed is that the pharmacy benefit managers were implementing policies to reduce payments to those entities that were 340B. And they really were undercutting what the intent of the program was to have the savings go back to the covered entity so that they could stretch their resources in order to care for patients and implement new programs. So as a result of that reduced reimbursement rates, many states have adopted and passed legislation to prevent that discriminatory action. At least 21 states have this anti-discrimination policy in place, and 15, at least 15, are looking towards doing that right now. Another way the states have been addressing discrimination is that they have requirements for their PBMs to be accredited or licensed in their state. And through that licensing, requirements, they can implement policies to prevent discriminatory reimbursement. And then there is litigation that can occur in states as well in order to challenge some of the reimbursement rates that are set forth. So there's lots of different ways that states are actively working towards addressing this concern for the 340B covered entities. So then that way, the savings is used where the program intended. So I'm going to speak to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center and our experience with meeting the requirements of a universal payer for the state Medicaid program. 
as well as negotiating contracts related to the 340B program with the new pharmacies opening. The University of Cincinnati Medical Center is a covered entity type as a disproportionate share hospital. It's a 650-bed facility. Academic Medical Center provides level one trauma centers. It provides care for the region's most vulnerable patient through life-changing patient-centered care regardless of race, ethnicity, geography, or ability to pay. We have been a participant in the 340B program since its inception in 1992, and we do leverage our participation in this program in order to provide pharmacy-centric services in innovative patient care programs. We'll speak to some of those. The first is that in pharmacy services, we do leverage 340B from the mixed-use perspective and in the retail pharmacy space. Our retail pharmacy footprint expanded this year. We had a single large retail pharmacy associated with one of our ambulatory care centers that was across the street from the hospital that also had a discharge pharmacy associated within a separate service line. In March of this year, we relocated that discharge pharmacy service to the lobby of the hospital and opened a retail footprint there and then added an additional retail pharmacy associated with one of our other ambulatory buildings on the campus. We also have a specialty pharmacy that's considered an in-house specialty pharmacy to the covered entity and then about 80 contract pharmacies. We do use our savings associated with the program to expand our pharmacy offerings and medication access by leveraging manufacturer programs. We have a prior authorization, pre-certification, and local coverage determination team that reports through pharmacy services. I previously alluded to our discharge medication delivery service and also support pharmacy transitions of care. An interesting aspect that we have in working in Cincinnati is the regional referral patterns that we observe in that tri-state area. So looking at Kentucky, Indiana, and Ohio. So as Shelley spoke to, knowing the codes associated with state providers in their claims, we do have some level of complexity associated with the neighboring region to our area. Our pharmacy practice requires education and consideration in thinking about these regulatory, legislative, and reimbursement guidance in this tri-state region. Within Ohio, this year we transitioned to a state universal Medicaid program. Jared's also going to speak to his experience more robustly in California. Ours is newer experience. As you can see on our slide, in Ohio, this transition occurred and went live on October 1st of this year. We found that as we opened two covered entity-owned retail pharmacies this year, and we were opting into participation in this new universal Medicaid program, that we didn't have a lot of data, any data, to submit to the program in order to determine what our reimbursement rate was going to be. And this is an interesting program in that it looks at where your pharmacy is located, and if it meets the definition of being located within a pharmacy desert, and then also looks at the overall payer mix associated with your pharmacy. So there's different categories in this new program that improve the reimbursement to the pharmacy, depending on what your payer mix is or the locations of your pharmacy and the patients that you're serving. We did appreciate in working with this program and disclosing that we had new pharmacies on our campus and we didn't have the provisionary data to define what our reimbursement was going to be. They did allow us this summer to prepare the data that we had, so about three months worth of data, to propose the reimbursement category that our pharmacies were going to fall into. So we're working under that agreement and then they'll do a broader reassessment of where our performance has been and if our performance aligns with what we were projecting. 
As a 340B program participant, it's imperative to be aware of these environmental influences and have those proactive conversations. We had actually started speaking with the Ohio plan administrator in July of 2021. So conversation about 15 months leading up to the activation of the program. These regular conversations between our 340B program leadership, the retail pharmacy leadership, our government relations team, our payer relations team, and our legal team opened communication and we were well poised as this collaboration came through looking at opening checklists for the new retail pharmacies and then making this transition to the Medicaid payer. With this team, we also identify opportunities and looking at the contracts that were associated with opening our new retail pharmacies. So with new sites, we needed to embark upon a new contracting process. In looking at our contract review, we found that we had some concerns with discriminatory contracting. And the definition of discriminatory contracting is that a range of practices that can reduce the benefit of the 340B savings received by a covered entity and thus the underserved patients because of certain behaviors that may occur. This may happen between PBMs, private insurers, as well as managed care organizations from a private for-profit perspective then interfacing with the not-for-profit perspective and 340B covered entities. So there's a number of ways that discriminatory contracting can occur, but some examples include offering a lower reimbursement for a drug that's purchased under 340B than for the same drug if it was purchased outside of the 340B program, refusing to cover drugs that are purchased under 340B either directly or by refusing to allow 340B pharmacies to participate in that network, and then charging more than fair market value or seeking profit sharing in exchange for services that involve 340B drugs. So in our current state, the reimbursement terms are set between the providers and the PBMs. This is not under the purview of HRSA. Some of the impact, though, to covered entities is that it may result in reduced medication savings and prompt a reassessment of what services or programs we're able to offer to our patients. These pressures may be outside of the control of the covered entities and may have to be prompted to accept these contracts that are proposed. So again, reducing that opportunity to leverage those savings and continue to offer certain patient services. We may have to reconsider what we're offering and how we leverage that savings support. Fortunately, in the state of Ohio, we've had some legislative activity in the past year in response to payer proposals and constraints that have allowed us to respond to these contracts that we're receiving. So in April of 2021, Ohio Revised Code 3902.71 was signed into law, and this recognizes that contracts that violate the provisions that you can see listed here are deemed unenforceable and are required to be replaced with a reimbursement rate that applies for healthcare providers that are not 340B covered entities. So thank you to the state of Ohio for recognizing that there were some concerning trends that were presenting themselves. Again, in 2021, the state has taken additional actions in order to implement this law. So one of the early communications that they sent out was a letter through the Medicaid managed care organizations to let these entities know that this had come into law and that they needed to change their contract provisions in order to comply with this law. So this was communicated shortly after the adjustment here. We used our experience as a covered entity as we expanded patients' access through the opening of these new pharmacies to then assess the contracts that we were receiving. So our contracts, we were informed related to this Ohio Revised Code related to a contract that we had received. And we said, oh, we see some violations to what is in the law of our state. We provided revisions back, so from the covered entity 
to the payer that had originally submitted the contract associated with our retail pharmacy opening. The members of our contract review team included our 340B program leadership, our retail pharmacy leadership, our payer relations and contracting team, as well as our legal team. Again, revisions proposed, rejected by the payer. Let's see what happens as far as our timeline. So in April of this year, we identified this concern and then the payer said, your revisions are not accepted, thank you very much. And so we said, you know, this seems to be a violation of the language that is in law. We reached out to the Ohio Division of Insurance and had the following response. So the Ohio Division of Insurance said, really response is outside of our jurisdiction, but they did correspond with the payer to express our concern and let the payer know that we had reached out looking for a kind of an intermediary. So looking at our complaint to ODI, we noted that the policy that was implemented through the contract was addressing our covered entity perspective in a manner that violated the Ohio Revised Code. And that this payer that was operating as a PBM within the state was prohibited from doing this. And therefore, the reimbursement provision that was proposed within the contract should be unenforceable. So because of this problem, we began interfacing with parties external to us. And this was a recommendation by our colleagues at University of Cincinnati Medical Center and our payer relations department. So it did help to have that collegial relationship to say, well, what else can we do? We don't want to accept this contract. We don't think it's appropriate. And the recommendation for the next resource was made within our team. The payer responded to the Ohio Division of Insurance and did confirm that the rate that was offered to the pharmacy was less than the rate specified in the Ohio Revised Code and were in agreement with the remedy to follow what is legal within our state. They also confirmed that the contract that was offered to the pharmacy had other violations. It disagreed that those violations were made in a way to be discriminatory, and their assessment was that it didn't prevent or interfere with one of our patients' choice related to receiving prescription drugs, and iterated that this did not apply to commercial plans and claims. However, that bottom bullet's very important. They said, we are gonna provide an updated contract to the pharmacy that specifies the above. So we don't agree with the complaint, but we'll give you new language, and they should have. So looking at our response, so this gets even better. This is a win, there should be a trophy on this slide. So the payer said, updated contract to our covered entity, as well as to all Ohio pharmacies that request a contract going forward, and those that are currently contracted. So I think this is a very proud moment as an organization <laughs> in that the actions of our team were able to benefit all of the covered entities within the state of Ohio and their relationship with this payer. But we did have a hiccup, so as you can see later within this timeline, we did have some concerns with some of their assessment related to federal provisions under the Medicare Part D plans, and we did not have this be changed. So you can see in June of 2022, we did continue to work through this. The Ohio Division of Insurance, again, it said not in their purview, but definitely helped in opening this conversation. And our next question was related to these changes were made from a commercial reimbursement perspective, but the payer said they're not going to have to comply with the Medicare D reimbursement. So we escalated that to the Ohio Attorney General's office and asked them to take necessary enforcement actions under Ohio law in order to rectify this violation. 
Unfortunately, the Ohio Attorney General's office did deem that outside of their scope. So we have moved forward with the contract recognizing there is a component in there that we're still not totally happy with. In looking to continue to advocate, there's been similar actions in other states. Shelley described those across the country at the beginning of the presentation. This is a really exciting one in Colorado. The language is very similar to Ohio. You can see it's going to be effective very soon, beginning in January 1st. I think one of the things to highlight in all of this activity, though, is that it is fantastic that we're putting these laws into place and recognizing what's happening. But you have to have teams that are educated in the state law, how it's changing, and that interpretation in the context as it applies to your covered entities. Because if pharmacy team alone had received that contract, I don't know that we would have had been able to overlay the pieces in the way that we did with our multidisciplinary team that was working through this. So I described we do have this internal team that assesses our proposed contracts. These team members are also a part of our 340B steering committee and are ongoing in a stakeholder engagement perspective. So you can see those team members listed here. I think what's also very important is to recognize relationships with other covered entities within your state who may be doing things similar to you, growing their retail footprint, expanding their 340B opportunity, and leveraging that to create advocacy alliances within the state. There's some other covered entity disproportionate share hospitals that we have really good relationships with. And when we received this feedback about the new contract being issued, that was the first group that we called to say, you need to be looking for this, it is coming, and here's the language that you're looking for making sure that those observed trends are communicated so you are able to combat and address those. And from our perspective, we always go back to the intent of the program and reiterate that in the conversations that we have with payers or those that are working with us through the alignment of the 340B program and the intention in order to expand access to those resources to our patients. Thanks so much for listening in today. Be sure to follow us at ASHP Official wherever you listen to podcasts and check back soon to hear more episodes from the 2022 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Vicki Basilega from ASHP Official and thank you for all you do for your patients.